0: I want to tell you a story about me. Um, my name is Andrew. I grew up in Indianapolis. Um, home for me is NapTown. I love that city. I grew up in a Christian household, so both of my parents are Christians. My dad's actually a pastor. Uh, my mom, uh, she w- during our growing years, she actually did home renderings uh, by hand, so not with a computer. Now her job is almost obsolete because of computers. So she does other things. But um, in this environment that I grew, I had great parents. I had great siblings. I had great friends. I had a great church, great neighborhood, great school. It was great, 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 great. It was all wonderful. At age 10, in this wonderful little environment that I grew up in, I became a Christian. I heard God's call in my life, and I got baptized at the age of 10 in a black Boomer Esiason jersey where everybody else wore normal things. I was the preacher's kid who really stood out. And, uh, and so at age 10, I thought, okay, like I know what Jesus is about. I know that I need to be saved. And I followed him. I said, I'm in. I'm in. And I was baptized, but... After making that confession, after receiving the Holy Spirit, after being baptized, I still didn't feel at rest. And now I'm not just talking about age 10, you know, the inner workings of a 10-year-old mind feeling that, oh, woe is me. No, it was, you know, the continued years of my own brokenness and realizing it wasn't all fixed yet. See, I still wanted to be right at all times and in all possible ways. I was always competing. On the inside. I was always uh, trying to see who was superior, my younger brother or I. Um, I felt that I knew more than my parents most days, uh, my youth leaders. I thought I had everything figured out and I wanted to correct everybody. But in this correcting and in this habit, I never felt at rest. I was always churning. I was always anxious. I was always feeling Ugh, on the inside. And on the outside, I was your very stereotypical holier-than-thou, do-all-the-right-things-smile-on-my-face kind of kid. Um, You thought I was probably an arrogant jerk, and it's fine. I don't judge you now for thinking that of me. Um, But um, as I was going through these feelings that were unsettled and not at rest, I began to subtly ask, did I not... Did I not say the right words when I became a Christian? Like, did I say them out of order, and did it not count? Um, did the baptism not take? Do I just need to get baptized in a different Boomer Esiason jersey, or or maybe it's just not the Bengals altogether? Um, was that it? Did I just need to get rebaptized, and then maybe that is going to fix this longing and this um, struggle? that I was still having inside, why did I feel so anxious? Have you ever felt this way? Not just your 10-year-old self, your adult self. Have you felt uneasy, lacking rest, wanting something more? As Chad read, this day is going to be about Jesus. So let me just jump to the end of the story. It's about Jesus. He's wonderful. He's greater than everything, and we're going to spend some time talking about him. But how does Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what does that have to do with rest? What does that have to do with you and with me finding that rest and What do we do with it? What do we do with what God has given us and called us to? Would you all join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much that we get to to go into your text. We get to talk about you. We get to look at you. Be with every single one of my words. Let the words from you land on hearts, turning eyes towards you. Move in this place. Let us see you. We love you. your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we are in the book of Hebrews. We are in the middle of a series called Greater. And we are going through the book of Hebrews. Pastor Russell has done two weeks on it now. And we're jumping in here at chapter 3. So if you haven't been here yet or as a refresher, this is a letter from an unknown author it's only guesses at this point who the author is, and they are writing this letter to the Israelite or the uh, Jewish people who have now come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now they're Jewish, so they know their Jewish history really well. More on that in a second. These people who have come to faith in Christ, it's a relatively new thing, and uh, it's before we can look at this and know that um, this is before Christians are starting to be persecuted to the point of death because uh, Christianity and the persecution against Christians uh, in that first century did grow to the point where they were killed for their faith. We're not there yet, so we're right before there, and they are in the midst of suffering. They are in the midst of what is persecution developing for their faith, and the author of Hebrews sees what they are experiencing And he wants to give them words of encouragement and ways to live day to day. So this is the audience that he is writing to. If I was going to write to you a letter and encourage you how to live your faith, I might try, for those of you who are Houstonians, I might try to bring up the legends that are Hakeem and Clyde. I want to go with what is beautiful in your past and stories that you are familiar with and make you smile and go, oh yes, I remember. We actually walked into, was it Chipotle? I think it was Chipotle. And there was a lady that had a shirt on and it just said, Hakeem and Clyde and Vernon. And I think there was one more name and Rudy. Megan's like, I want that shirt. And I was like, I have no idea how to find that, honey. But um, it sparked something in her because it was part of her own history. It was a part of, of who she was. And so if I was going to write a letter to you all, I might mention these people because you're like, oh, I see that, I know that, I'm very familiar with that. For the Jews, their Jewish history, all that we read about in the Old Testament was near and dear and very familiar to them. And so the author of Hebrews goes back to a story they are very familiar with. So let's jump back there. He, or she, uh, writes to them about the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Now, for a brief history lesson, the Israelites uh, had gone to Egypt during a famine at the end of Genesis. They had begun to thrive and thrive and grow and grow And they had grown so much that the Egyptians said, we don't like this anymore. They're getting too big. They're getting too powerful. And they enslaved them. For 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God reaches out to his people and says, I am going to pull you from this land. And I am going to send you to a land. I am promising it to you. The clever name is the promised land. It was, it was really difficult. Um, this promised land, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. I will be your God. You will be my people in this holy land. You will be provided for. I am going to care for you. You will be at rest. And so God then comes in and judges the gods of Egypt through miracles, putting those gods in their place and allowing all the people to see, these gods that you are worshiping, I am greater than they are. And he silences his foes. He works these crazy miracles, again, frogs uh, covering the land, gnats covering the land, darkness, the Nile turned to blood. The firstborn child died. It was insane. And God draws his people out of Egypt. And the Egyptians don't just say, oh, we're kind of sad to see you guys go. They're like, get out of here. Get out of here. Take all your stuff. Take all of our stuff. We don't care. Just get out. Get out. And then when they leave, Pharaoh and his people say, you know what? Hmm, I actually kind of want you to come back. So they chase after them. God does this crazy miracle where he parts the Red Sea. Israelites go free through. It collapses back on the chasers of the Egyptians, and now Israel is on their way to the promised land. Now, hearing that, looking back in your own history, if, if God were to do these miracles and then continue the miracles, like leading the people with a cloud by day and a fire by night, where God is speaking to the leaders, if this was part of your history and you were looking at it, wouldn't you be like, that was awesome? Man, how great would it be to be those people? But the Israelites didn't do that. They didn't follow faithfully. Instead, when God did all of these wonderful things, all they did was gripe and complain. Why don't we have food? Why don't we have the luxuries we had in Egypt when we were slaves? It was so much better. Why did you bring us out here to die? And they constantly, constantly complained. Our passage refers to what they were doing as a lack of belief. These are the words in this passage uh, that we have today in Hebrews 3 and 4 that describe these Israelites. Hard-hearted, rebellious, provokers. They provoked God to anger. They were faithless. They were evil. They were unbelieving, and they were disobedient. These are not words you ever want to describe you or any of your friends. These were their their fathers. The fathers of the people receiving this letter were people who rejected all that God did and they never entered his rest. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, I just have to stop there because this is super exciting. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. It doesn't just say, as God says in scriptures. It says, as the Holy Spirit says. So if we're reading this, this is telling us that the Holy Spirit was both the means and the medium. He was the voice who spoke and how the voice was spoken to us through scripture. Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. He just said, me, my works. The Holy Spirit is God. Verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And they said, and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They lost sight of who they were. They lost sight of whose they were. They took their focus off of God. They disbelieved. And and the way that the author is referring to it here and in, I think, at four other places in this text Disbelief, unbelief, and disobedience are used interchangeably. Unbelief and disobedience are used interchangeably. So it wasn't just that they had the wrong facts. It was also that they were going about things that were contrary to what God had commanded them. And he uses them in the same way. These people were hard-hearted, rebellious, provokers, faithless, evil, unbelieving, disobedient, and they were told, you will never enter my rest. You will never enter my rest. Now, as I told you at the beginning in my story, I'm somebody who wanted to do right, I wanted to be right, and I wanted to make sure that all my ducks were in a row, Reading a passage like this, this passage that the author is writing to them as an encouragement, it did not come as an encouragement. I did not get the warm fuzzies as I read Hebrews. In fact, my fear went big. This is how I read these type of passages. Israel had all the excuses in the world to live rightly. Israel sinned their faces off and died in the desert because of it. I have all of the excuses to live rightly in this world. I have sinned my face off. And I don't, maybe I don't trust Jesus enough to be saved. And so... I'm going to die in the desert because of it. That's how I felt. And when I read this, I was scared because I would just read this and I would highlight all the parts of this text that come across as a warning that talked about the disbelieving, the unbelief, the disobedience that leads to death. And I would focus on all of that and I would be having those internal conniptions. I walked about with a smile on my face like everything was fine on the outside, but on the inside, I had no rest. I was anxious. But the author of Hebrews, he started out with the most important thing that I glossed over in all of my fear. Chad started our day reading from this text look at verse 1 therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling consider jesus consider jesus Everything that flows in the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 sits under this command. Consider Jesus. Listen to what our writer says about Jesus, continuing on in verse 1. The apostle and high priest of our confession Jesus was essentially the first apostle, the one bringing the news about himself, the one showing others this is the new thing, this is the fulfillment thing, this is what you've been looking for. As Jesus would say, it's me. It's me. Jesus is also the high priest. Now, I would love to just camp here and talk about the high priest, but I would then be stealing Russell's sermon for next week because that's the end of chapter four and most of chapter five and at least a few chapters after that, so we're gonna get there. Just hold on, be excited. Just anticipate it wonderfully. Jesus is the apostle. He is the high priest. He is the one who is over the house of God. If, okay, imagine... Again, we go back to the Rockets, and we think of wonderful Rockets. We think of Hakim and we think of Clyde. And when those men sit courtside, everybody gives them the standing ovation. They're excited to see them there. They're excited because these are the forefathers, the best of the best of the Rockets. The writer of Hebrews is doing the same thing. And he starts in verse 2. Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. He dropped the Moses line. Everybody's like, oh, yes, Moses, Moses. We love Moses. Moses is wonderful. Moses was the leader who brought us the law. He is the revered figure. We love Moses. And so, just as they're reading this and hearing it, just as they get the head nod going, okay, you can see it. Oh, Hakim, yeah. Moses, yeah. Verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Did you like Moses? Did you think he was awesome? Jesus has not beat. Jesus is greater than Moses. He has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. In chapter 4, they come back and Jesus says, remember Joshua? He didn't even complete it. What Jesus did is better than what Joshua brought. Joshua brought the people into the promised land. He was supposed to be the one that brought them into their eternal rest. And it says in chapter 4, he brought them to the land, but rest never came. Rest was promised. as something that was going to come later. Jesus was greater than Joshua. So now the readers are saying, wow, Jesus Our estimation of him continues to grow. All the people that we love and adore in our history, the greatest of the great, Jesus has them whooped. He is worthy of more glory than Moses. He is worthy of more glory than Joshua. Who is he? He is the ruler of the house. End of verse 3 as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Anybody, have you heard the name uh, Frank Lloyd Wright? Okay, I just saw hands, heads go like this. He was an architect. He was a dreamer. He made some of the most beautiful houses. Um, If you watch the movie Bottle Rocket, great movie, um, that house is filmed at a Frank Lloyd house that is in Dallas, Uh, I think it's the closest to where we are now. You can see it. It is glorious. It is wonderful. He designed these houses. But why are these houses awesome? I mean, they're beautiful. They're wonderful. But they're awesome because he did it. They're awesome because he made them. We refer to them as Frank Lloyd Wright houses for a reason. The builder of the house is worthy of more honor than the house itself. Moses, jumping to uh, verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. He played his role to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house, not in it, not a part of it. He is over God's house. Why is he over God's house? He is over it as a son. He is over it as a son. He is not a servant in the house. He is the son. He owns the house. He has authority in the house. He rules over it. Christ is greater than Moses. He is greater than Joshua. Christ is greater than any aspect of the house. He is over the house. He is the authority who rules and he reigns. What else? We read over it. I don't want to miss it. Jesus is was faithful. He was faithful. He was given a charge, a mission, something to do while he was on earth. He was faithful in his charge. He was faithful in his role. He was faithful as the Son. Jesus is faithful. And now, you take all of these things, and he, the author of Hebrews, comes, and he says it in verse three of chapter four jump over there for we who have believed enter that rest see Jesus accomplished what Moses couldn't accomplish Jesus accomplished what the law that Moses gave couldn't accomplish Jesus accomplished that which Joshua could not accomplish Through Jesus and Jesus alone, we are able to enter the rest that we all desperately seek in our lives. And verse 3 says, if we have believed, then we enter the rest. Those of us who have come to faith in this Christ, in this God, who is worthy of more glory than anyone that we could come up with. He gives us rest. He gives us the rest that we were longing for. Okay, so I'm going to take this big text. I'm going to boil it down. The author of Hebrews has four things he's really wanting to get across. One, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Again, he is worthy of all the praise that we can possibly think or muster because he is the son who rules over all. So point one, Jesus is faithful. Point two, Jesus is faithful to his house. Jesus has provided rest for all of those who have come and placed their faith in Christ. He has given rest. He has made complete. He has healed those who have come to him and say, I'm his. Point three, we become his house. We, we come to his house and are part of it when we place our faith in him, when we trust in him, when we believe in in him, faith, trust, belief, when we put those on Christ for our life, it's him and it's only him, then we are ushered into that house. Well, What do we do with that? Point four, stay faithful. Hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to that confession that you made. See, the author has has reminded the people of the Israelites who had all the right excuses to do everything right, and they turned their back on God. They did not remain faithful. He says, don't look to your forefathers for the way that you ought to live. Don't look to the past to say, that's how I'm going to figure out this life. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus, lock eyes straight on Jesus. Hold fast to him. He is able, he is worthy, he is faithful. Consider him. Consider Jesus. If we lock eyes on Jesus, then He gives us his rest. Now, if we lock eyes on Jesus and he gives us his rest, how are we living then? Why did he write this? And I'm using the word encouragement. Why would you look at this as an encouragement looking back to these people who suffered and died because they sinned so badly? Why is this an encouragement? Because the author is saying, here is what they did. They wanted the rest. And they went about it on their power. Jesus has allowed us entrance to the rest through him. All that was promised. To the Israelites is available in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So now that we are free in Christ, now that we have found rest in Him, what do we do with it? Do we need to cower like the slightly younger version of myself, or maybe me yesterday when I'm not feeling so confident? and I've stopped considering Jesus. Does it all go away? Do I have to just try harder? Do I have to just think harder on Jesus? Do I need to allot a, a certain number of minutes to consider him every day to make sure that I'm in, to show him that I'm trying hard enough? It's not how this text reads. Verse 3 says that if we have believed in him, then we have entered the rest. This is a firm commandment. It's happened. It's happened. It's only through Jesus Christ. But now, out of that rest, we are called to live. There are promises to us that are sprinkled all throughout this text. Again, we're going from chapter 3, 1 through 413 today. There are promises to us. Here are some of the promises. If we are in Christ, then we share in God's heavenly calling. It's not just me solo. I get to share it with all of those who he has called. I am an important piece of his house. We are all participants in God's house. We all have roles. We all have a purpose. God has called us together as a unit. His body, his church to function as a whole, not as the individual, as a whole for his kingdom. What are other promises? We share in all of his promises. We actually get to enter his rest. That is a promise. That is not a condition. That is not something we earn. In fact, it is a gift that comes only with Jesus. It is a promise. We find rest in him. We are united by faith, with those who listen. If you want to enjoy going through uh, verses 316 through 19 uh, later, um, there's this interplay between those who heard and those who listened, those who heard and disbelieved, and those who listened and obeyed. We are promised that in Jesus we are united with those who listen and who have come to Him. And it's touched on here, it's touched on in Hebrews, it's made more clear in Ephesians and in John. But I don't want to miss this because it's crucial. We are promised the gift of His Holy Spirit. We are promised the gift of His Holy Spirit. And this promise is crucial. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us the power to be about what he is about. He gives us the power to actually obey, to continue to believe and continue to obey, to follow what he's called us to. So if we are his, if we are in his house, if we have come to believe in him, then what should our lives look like? We live from that rest, not for it. Again, it's not a conditional rest. We live our life out of that rest. We have rest in him. Second, what are we to do? We are to hold fast to our confession. If we are considering him we need to be faithful live our lives like we actually trust Jesus day in day out let us be faithful let us hold fast and not let go to him and his ways and what he has done in and through us third thing it says that we are to boast in our hope typically you are not told to boast about many things at church, but it's in the text, so we're going to. We are to boast in our hope. We are supposed to be those grinning idiots that are so happy that something has happened that is joyous inside that we have to tell somebody. We have to make it known because it is so good and he is so wonderful and we are set free in him. Boast in that hope. Tell others about the hope that you have found in Jesus. Help others consider him. Keep soft hearts. Repent. This text does not say that just because we believe we will never sin, we don't have to look at every sin as a a proof that we are not yet Christian enough. We look at our sin and say, this is not what God wants from me. I want to repent. I want to turn away from it. Jesus is my Lord, and I am going to live consistent with my identity. I am going to live consistent with who I am. Because who I am determines what I do. Actions follow identity. Always. Always. Who you are determines what you do. More on that in a moment. Listen, we we obey. We act. We actually don't just hear this is what you should do, but we do. We act. This is what is consistent with our identity. And lastly, exhort others to stay faithful. Encourage others to stay faithful. Brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to have you here. This room is even half as full as I want it to be. I would love this place to be packed with people who are coming and chasing after Jesus. But you know what? This is really not always the most effective place to encourage you. Because you might have stayed up late the night before working on your sermon. Or... You might have stayed up late hanging out with your friends. There's there's an internal relationship that you're struggling with. Um, You've got something going on after church. This might not be the most locked down that you are to be encouraged. And me telling you that from up front may not land. I want us to consider him. I want us to consider Jesus and follow hard after. But you know what? Some of the best encouragement are brothers and sisters gathering around you weekly. In things like we call loop groups and saying, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? How can I pray for you? We get to encourage one another in the Lord. And we want to do that weekly. If you're not in a loop group, please get connected. But I, this is the, these are the little groups that we have set up so that we can live out the call that we are to do here in this text. Encourage one another in the Lord. See, when I was a child, I thought that my belief and that my actions were two different things. And I was always worried, do my actions show that I'm not a Christian? And I didn't see that who I am did determine what I did. Instead, I was focusing over here on what I did without really focusing in on who I was. The author Of Hebrews is drawing everybody who is reading this, and thus all of us who are hearing it right now. This is who you are. You are a part of His house. Jesus is over this house, Jesus is faithful. Consider Him. And through His Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live out of that rest and to live faithfully in the world, inviting others to experience a peace of life with Jesus Christ. Would you all bow with me? Lord, I confess at this moment, I don't always feel faithful. Frankly, Lord, even while pinning this, I I thought a lot about my 10-year-old self and how different I don't feel sometimes, that I still am wracked by doubt and worry. Lord, I ask that you, in your peace and presence, really descend hard on our hearts. Lord, if we have not put our faith in you, I ask that you disturb us. I ask that that you let us see that we are not at rest and that we are in need of a Savior. Lord, if there are those here who have not crossed that line of faith, Lord, let them consider you. Let them consider you who is worthy of all glory, all honor, and who is faithful to all that you were given as Son. But Lord, for those of us who have come to you Lord, we still need your rest. We still need your peace. Let us consider you. Thank you for drawing our eyes to you. In your name, we pray. In your name, we pray. Amen.